Well, this morning I ask you, have you ever been in a predicament? I know it's a big word, especially for this southern boy. My wife says, that, says I don't say it right because I like to say perdicament. <laughs> to which I respond, aight. Have you ever been in a predicament? I'll say it another way. Have you been in a pinch, a fix, a jam, a rut, in a pickle, in a tight spot between a rock and a hard place, up a tree, up a creek without a paddle, in hot water, in over your head, in the soup, in the red, in the doghouse, I can't say these without a southern accent. In the hot seat, hard pressed, have you ever been in a real, I'm sorry, Elizabeth, perdicament? (laughs) My grandpa Orville was born in 1900. Stories about him are legendary. From what I am told, he's my Well, I know this part for sure. He's my dad's mother's dad, great-grandpa, Orville. Born in 1900, so we could always keep track of how old he was. And back when he was about, I don't know, 17, 18, he'd go out on the range with the cattle for weeks, sometimes months at a time. And we'd hear all kinds of stories, primarily from my grandmother, his daughter, about how he would be out there alone in the the wild west with these animals and wild animals, and and he just had to survive. And he was pretty good at it. But there was also the fighting of just sheer boredom. Because what do you do all day out there with the cattle? Well, one of the things he liked to do was he got pretty good at a whip. And so, as any young boy wants to do, he wants to be known for something. And so he'd practice that whip over and over and over. And he'd find some little flower or some little thing in the grass. And kapop, he'd try until eventually he could pop the head right off of a lot of things. Just ping, 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 ping. I've been told. I didn't ever get to witness it. But that he could pop a fly off a cow and the cow wouldn't even move. That was great-grandpa Orville. And how do you stay warm out there in the prairie? Well, you gather cow chips. I won't go into that. And you, you burn cow chips. It's kind of like peat, I suppose, in Ireland and some of these other things. But you dig a hole first, and you build your fire in this small hole. And when it's time to go to bed, you cover it up with just enough dirt, and you sleep right on top and stay warm. Isn't that a pretty good idea? Great-grandpa Orville. Well, on this particular occasion, he was in town getting a few supplies, and there was a little ad that said the circus was coming to town, and for anybody who could produce poisonous snakes, they'd get a nickel for every poisonous snake. That's big money. 17-year-old young buck. And he says, man, I come across poisonous snakes all the time. I don't even have to find them. The cows just, and they scoot around, and I go, and I pop their head. And he'd pick up the snake by the tail, typically, and he would do the same action he'd do with his whip, except this time, instead of cracking the whip, he'd just crack the end of that snake and break his neck, and that's it. 
So he thought, well, I'll just start begging these snakes. And so that's what he did. I told this story to the Pathfinders a few weeks ago. True story. So he's bagging these snakes and taking them around with him. And, and, you know, eventually on his saddlebag, he's got a couple of these bags dangling around. And he's got a couple of snakes in there, two, three, and a couple more over here. And, and he's about ready to cash in, buddy. He's already thinking about that new saddle or that new leather jacket or whatever it was. Maybe it was a whip. I don't know. But he was just dreaming, I imagine, of cashing in. But it was a particularly cold night, much like last night. And snakes don't like to be cold. And somehow, some way, well, I'll tell it to you this way. He woke up in his bag feeling something snuggling up against his neck. And it didn't feel quite right. So very quickly, this kind of went to this. And then he felt as he started to move some movement down near his ankle and around his waist, and it was just slow movements, but movements nonetheless. Every one of his captured poisonous snakes was now sleeping with him in his bag. At that moment, I don't think he was dreaming about the new whip. And so he started to very carefully and delicately ease his way out until it came to the breaking point, and he started picking up rattlesnakes and popping their heads left and right, and that was it. I used to go to bed with that story. (laughs) Over and over and over. Grandpa Orville in a perdicament. Maybe that right now you find yourself in a predicament because of an unwise series of decisions perhaps all of us pay stupid tax now and again maybe it's through no fault of your own circumstances beyond your control maybe you're dealing with a fallout of somebody else's failure or incompetence maybe you have a child that's not walking with the Lord and to say something Seems like it's necessary, but to say the wrong thing at the wrong time could be detrimental, and you find yourself in the lurch. Might be related to work. Do you get into all the drama, or do you stay out and keep your mouth shut? Maybe it's relating to something at school or at home. Maybe it's a relational issue. It might be something different entirely, or it might be a mixture of all the above. Whatever it is, you find yourself squeezed into a tight space. And perhaps the hardest part of all is that you don't see any good ways out. Have you been there? In Exodus, we find God's people in a predicament. Turn with me, if you will, to Exodus. Thank you, Chris, for reading that for us. Exodus chapter 14. And you may recall as you're turning there, that God's people have been in bondage and slavery for the past some 400 years. Yet more recently, the Lord has worked in miraculous ways through Moses and through these 10 plagues to bring this stubborn Pharaoh to the breaking point and finally to let his people, what? Go. 
And so we pick up the story, even though there's a lot there, I understand, but we're picking up the story this morning in Exodus chapter 14, verse 5. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled. Now wait a minute. Did they really flee, run away, escape? No. But they're choosing to think that they fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people, and they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also he took 600 choice chariots, count them, and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them and all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea beside, and it gives you some words I'll allow you to pronounce. Can you imagine 600 chariots and all this dust and everything just boiling up and the horses galloping and the, the roar and the thunder and the... Have mercy. And so, if you're in that situation, you hear this dull roar behind you, the desert, the wasteland is to the right of you, the mountains are straight ahead of you, and the sea is on your left. And they were terrified. Yes, they were between a rock and a hard place. What do they do? They do what all human nature tends to love to do. Blame your leader, right? Verse 11. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? <clears throat> Why have you done, dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that which that we, the Egyptians, than that we should die in the wilderness. Just a harder way of saying, we told you so. Look what's happened now. The southerners in the group say, oh, we're in a fix now. Now we sure done it. And it's your fault, Moses. Yet I remind you, who is the one leading them? Look back, just a few verses. Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. We read there, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. Be kind of nice, wouldn't it? Cloud moves and you move. The cloud stops and you stop. You're looking for a job, wondering where to apply. Well, you just follow the cloud. Looky there, it's hovering over that very nice business over there. I'll go apply. Is this the girl to marry? I don't know. Well, what's the cloud doing? But notice when push comes to shove, 
just like that. They're willing to give up their freedom for safety. We just want to be safe. Do something. Anything. Sounds like 9-11 all over again. But it's here in this story that we find three survival tips. Three survival tips to get you through crisis. Now, if you don't ever go through crisis, have never experienced a crisis, don't think you will be in crisis, you can go to sleep and I'll wake you up when we're done. But if you think you might ever be there, you might want to pay attention to these three survival tips to remember when life gets tough, to apply in the face of discouragement or fatigue and a seemingly hopeless situation. Are you ready? Survival tip number one. It takes tight places to break lifetime habits. Did you get it? It takes tight places to break lifetime habits, to free us from thought patterns and behaviors that have held us hostage for years. You know what I'm talking about. Our minds have these grooves, and we just go right back into that same thought process, that same pattern, that same reaction to the same stimuli, and we're so good at it. Those trails have now become paved roads in our minds. It takes tight places, I believe, for new grooves to be formed in our minds. Are you with me? Because we can become too humanistic in our lifestyle. Because for so long, like them, we have also rubbed shoulders with Egyptians. We work with Egyptians. We read Egyptian newspapers. We've come to like the Egyptian music. We watch Egyptian movies, Egyptian television. You've learned to think like an Egyptian, react like an Egyptian, maybe even walk like an Egyptian. But God wants to break us free from Egyptian habits. So he paints his people, I believe, at times in impossible circumstances. Because in order for those lessons to etch themselves in our hearts, to form new grooves in our minds, we first have to become surrounded with no escape, period. And it's then, and oftentimes only then, when we're hemmed in on all sides and we look over here and here and here and here and there's no place to go, it's only then oftentimes that we decide to look up. Have you noticed that? Like Moses when he slayed the Egyptian, he looked left and he looked right. He never looked up. He became impatient. He was tired of waiting on God's timing, God's way. He says, I'm 40 years old by now. I'm equipped. I'm ready to go. What are you waiting for? And he sees an opportunity and he takes it. God, is this in your plan? Didn't bother to ask that question. He saw an escape hatch of his own devising and he took it. And some of us have been taking escape hatches all our lives. Never facing reality, never addressing the issues, constantly living a lie, if you will. But it's in these tight spaces that the Lord wants to get our attention and say, look up, look to me, don't look at everything around you. 
But look up. In my student missionary year, it still ranks as one of the hardest, maybe the hardest year of my life. I don't know. I felt incompetent, alone, isolated, taken advantage of, all, you know, and the list goes on and on. Yet in spite of it all, it was one of the best experiences of my entire life. Go figure. Same thing. Same experience. And as painful as it can be, it's often those experiences where God has to start peeling away the layers. You know what I'm talking about? The varnish and the paint and everything, and just get down to the base wood, the heartwood, so he can refinish it. Anybody here ever refinish furniture? And you have to strip it down and strip it down and strip it down. And that can be painful. That can hurt. And you say, oh, not another layer. Ouch. But at the core of that, God's trying to refine us, to reform us, to build character within us. So we trust in him more deeply than we ever have before. But too often... We miss the whole experience because we find some escape hatch. We create one if we have to, and we're out of there. The reality is God allows us to go through these valleys, these painful experiences, because they prepare us. When all else is stripped away, we can trust him and him alone. That's when we're strong. I mean... Look through Scripture. He did it with Abraham when it was time to sacrifice his son. I have some layers, Abraham, we need to strip off. It's going to hurt, but it's for your good. He did it with Joseph, sold into slavery, finally made a name for himself, thrown back into the dungeon for years, forgotten. He did it with Moses. He was out in the desert for 40 years. Most qualified shepherd ever. He did it with David as a shepherd boy, anointed as king, yet running for his life. I believe God knows that it takes tight places to break lifetime habits, to bring us to surrender, to prepare us, to build our faith and trust in Him. And it can and often will be painful but it's necessary. So we read on, Exodus chapter 14, verse 13. Thankfully, Moses doesn't join their insight, but rather says in Exodus 14, 13, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall see no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Twice he says, be still, be silent, be quiet. Even keep your mouth shut would be an appropriate translation of that. Stop whining. Stop complaining. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. 
Be still and know that I am God. I will deliver you. Having been brought through this situation by God, Moses had no fear. He had learned to trust God and his plan, even when he didn't fully understand. He didn't say what some are prone to saying, God helps those who help themselves. Something that think that comes from the Bible. It doesn't. It comes straight from the pit. No, God helps the helpless. As long as I'm helping myself, who needs God? It's when I come to him at the end of my rope and I cry out to God for help. I believe. Help my unbelief. That's when God says, okay, let's go. I can work with this person now. And we fall into his everlasting arms and he picks us up and he takes us on. But that works against every fiber of our being, doesn't it? But God wants us to trust him completely. In a very real sense, to give up. But it's ingrained in us, I will go down fighting, I will not give up. God says, give up. Let go. Don't hang on so tight. Don't think it's about you. Don't think you're going to figure it out. Don't think that you're on top of this. Let go. Give up. Be silent. Be quiet. Stop your whining. And watch how I will deliver you. Do not be afraid, but rather be still. See the salvation of the Lord. In verse 15, and the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to, what? Go forward. Survival tip number two. Go forward. Regardless of what you're facing today, God has a way for you. Maybe you're hemmed in by a mortgage on your right, car payments straight ahead, medical expenses on your left, and the bank ambushing you from behind. You ever feel that way? Go forward. God has a way for you. Maybe you're surrounded by a sea of unrest and confusion at home. Your kids are rebelling. Your in-laws are pointing fingers, and you and your wife are not communicating well. Go forward. God has a way for you. Maybe the issue is work-related. Your coworkers are backstabbing you. Your reputation is being called into question. And you're losing sleep, wondering how it will be resolved, if even it will be. Look to God and go forward. God has a way for you. Maybe it's a health issue. The outcome looks bleak. The physicians have only bad news. The options are limited. Go forward. God has a way for you. Maybe it's a church issue of all things. You're not being spiritually fed. Your ministry is not going the way you think it should. You're overworked and you feel underappreciated. Go forward in God's strength. God has a way for you. And then you turn on the news, and it's all about gay marriage, and it's all about another school shooting, and, and deficits, and debt ceilings, and the world is crumbling in every way possible. 
go forward. God has a plan, too, for this evil-filled, sin-jaded, sexually immoral, war-stricken, self-centered world. In Christ, God has a way for you and for me. So in depression and loneliness, in frustration, go forward. God has a way for you. You don't have to see it to take the first step. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 290, explains the setting in powerful language. Quote, the great lesson here taught is for all time. Often the Christian life is beset by dangers and duty seems hard to perform. The imagination pictures impending ruin before and bondage or death behind. Does anybody have a racing imagination? Yet the voice of God speaks clearly, go forward. We should obey this command even though our eyes cannot penetrate the darkness and we feel the cold waves about our feet. The obstacles that hinder our progress will never disappear before a haltering and doubting spirit, end quote. So brothers and sisters, look to the Almighty God who can take you through anything you will face. Never lose your confidence, never lose your trust in Him. Obey His command and by His power, by His strength, standing on His promises, go forward. So we pick up our story. You know how it goes, Exodus chapter 14 now in verse 19, and the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. Verse 22, so the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left and the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen. And now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the armies of the Egyptians, and he took off their chariot wheels. So that they drove them with difficulty, and the Egyptians said, let us free, flee from this from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them and against the Egyptians. Verse 26, And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. It continues on to tell us not one Egyptian survived. 
And then in verse 30, so the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant, Moses. Did you see what just happened? Literally overnight, God's people went from a hopeless situation to complete deliverance. And God had a purpose in that. If the Lord's going to get the glory, he must do the fighting. And overnight they're delivered. And as a result of this difficult and painful ordeal, they fear and trust God more, as well as his servant, Moses. Do you remember our survival tips? When faced with overwhelming circumstances, survival tip number one, remember that it takes tight places and spaces to break lifetime habits. Survival tip number two, know that God is with you. Lean on him and his promises and his strength, his wisdom and his power, and do what? Go forward. Survival tip number three, know that God's plans are never an afterthought. Are you with me? Often we question God and we ask, I thought you were leading me. I thought this was part of your plan. And now I'm here in this dead end. What were you thinking, God? What possibly can your purpose be in all of this? But folks, coming to the Red Sea was just as much part of God's plan as crossing it. Don't you think God knew what he was doing when he led them into this dead end, if you will? Look at chapter 13 again. Exodus 13, verse 17. A page or two back. 13, verse 17. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had left, let the people go that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, the closer route, the most direct route. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. God's plans are never an afterthought, folks. He alone saw the big picture. He alone knew that for his people to succeed, they must take this longer route. There were battles and obstacles on the shorter route that they were not prepared to fight. And God in his mercy says, I'm going to take them in a route where they can succeed, where they can win based on their faith. So in his grace, he takes them the long way around. They first had to learn to trust in him, how to be obedient to him. To be led into dead-end situations, but still have faith. Because they were simply following God in the form of a pillar of cloud. God had it all arranged ahead of time. Friends, he always does. Raymond Edmonds says, 
it this way in his book, The Disciplines of Life. The delay that instructs and prepares us saves time, never loses it, end quote. The delay that instructs and prepares us saves time, never loses it. God says, this delay is on purpose for your good. I purposed it. God's plans are never an afterthought. You and I are not an afterthought. His plans for our lives are never an afterthought. In fact, before the creation of the world, he knew that sin would enter. His grand plan of salvation was not an afterthought. Before he created us, he knew about sin and the results of sin. He knew that we would mock him and shame him. He knew we'd be a stiff-necked people. He knew the only way we could, that he could save us was through Calvary. He knew that. And he knew after his death, many would continue to reject him. No, God's plans are not ever an afterthought. He knew. But he also knew that a relationship with his people in the great span of eternity would be worth it. And so he created. He loved. He let go. He died. And he gives us each a choice. Not as an afterthought, but as part of his great plan to redeem the universe to himself. And this same God that knows the end from the beginning has plans not only to help you and me through life, God has a plan for me, you and me to receive eternal life. When God's people had no way, their evil, evil nature was to the right of them. Their mountainous habits were in front of them. The watery gulf between them and righteousness was on their left. And the devil and his horde was pursuing him from behind. When there was no way, Jesus made a way. And through his life, death, and resurrection, the seas of impossibility were parted for you and me. The way was made available. And the call goes to you and me here, today, now. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. See the deliverance of the Lord. Go forward. Jeremiah 29, 11 has always been one of my favorite verses. Perhaps because it helps me to calm down about the fact that I don't know everything and I don't need to know everything. Jeremiah 29, 11. You probably could recite it. New King James says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. My favorite in this verse is always the NIV. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. 
doesn't say that you know the plans. Right? I remember there was a press conference with Donald Rumsfeld one time back when there was all this drama of war and, and years ago and they were pushing him, pushing him, pushing him about the war plan, the war plan, the war plan. The war plan says this, the war plan says that, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, isn't that da, 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 da. To which he had to stop the reporters and say, excuse me, I don't believe you have a copy of the war plan. I do. I see this verse as a divine excuse me in my life. Excuse me, Dave, but I know the plans for your life. I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. God knows the end from the beginning. He knows it often takes those tight spaces to get our attention. But he bids us, trust me, see how I will work, and go forward. Because I have great plans for you. He gave his life for you and me that we might have a hope and a future. Isn't it true? So my appeal this morning is simple. If you feel hemmed in this morning, if you feel like there's obstacles on every side, stop looking around and look up. God helps the helpless. In faith, go forward and trust His plans for you. What did the text say? Do not be afraid. Stand still, be quiet, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to trust in him and go forward. Are you willing to commit to that today? Say, Lord, I want to go forward. I want to stop looking for escape hatches. I want to follow your leading. I want to trust your plan. I want to stop trying to bail myself out. And if you need to peel some layers off, so be it. If it needs to be uncomfortable, so be it. If it's painful, if it's hard, if I don't understand right now, so be it. That's submission at its core, isn't it? But I believe more than anything else, that is what God longs for, don't you think? It's easier said than done. There's no doubt about that. But that's why we read these verses often, and we claim them often, and we pray them back often. And we say, Lord, I'm going to stop whining, I'm going to be quiet, I'm going to be still. I'm going to allow you to fight this battle. You show me the way to go. And before I even understand it, I'll go forward. And we give ourselves to him day by day as we trust in Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, all too often you have brought us through ten plagues. You have delivered us from bondage. 
you have led us in such a plain way. And then with the first sign of something to go wrong, we doubt. And we whine and we complain. We rehearse all the problems, all the issues, rather than give them to you. And pray that simple prayer of faith that says, Lord, I knew that you led me. I know that you led me to this place. And I will trust that you will bring me through this. And I am choosing by faith to go forward. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.